good to see you all back on a Sunday night. Take your copy of God's Word and be turning to Psalm 133. This is another one of those huge passages with three verses in it. Psalm 133. I want to spend our time together for just a few minutes this evening and talk about uh, what David talks about here. David wrote this psalm, and he writes about the richness of of uh, brotherly fellowship, or in the church's case, of familial fellowship, of Christians fellowshipping with one another and being together. For probably over 20 years now, um, yeah, uh, about the same amount of time we've been a church here, maybe a little more, our family uh, at Christmas, we usually get a cabin in the mountains somewhere and we go up and spend a week there, uh, seven days. And uh, it's a great time. And, and when the kids were little, uh, we even took uh, Christmas with us sometimes. We would go there over Christmas, and so we would take all the presents. Now, I'm going to tell you what's difficult to do if you have little kids is hiding all those presents in the back of the truck till you get to where you're going so they don't think Santa Claus dropped them off early or something. So <clears throat> we would take all those presents to the mountains, and then one year we got up there and we didn't have a Christmas tree. So we went out and we, we got Charlie Brown Christmas tree. We found a, a little tree, a stick tree out there, and we chopped that thing down and uh, put tin foil and stuff all over it. And that was the saddest looking Christmas tree I've ever seen. But uh, the next day when, you know, it was Christmas morning the next day and all the presents were out under the tree and the kids all ran to the balcony and looked at it and they were, that was the best Christmas tree they'd ever seen because they had presents all around it. But we, we've done that for 20 years. And, and the point is now, um, of our four children, two, two of them are grown and are out in their own lives. One lives in California, and Nathan lives in Rhode Island now in the Navy. And then Hunter and Haley are pretty near grown, 15 and 16 years old. <clears throat> it's a different dynamic. It's not about the presence, and it's not about all that. But when we go, it really is about the fellowship and the having fun. I mean, when our two grown kids come, and we go to the mountains with them, and, and all, of, all of us are together. And, of course, Megan's husband, Alex, and we're all together. It is um, it's good. I mean, it's, it's the fellowship, and it's the doing things together, and the eat meals together. And really, it's a seven-day period when we don't have to go to work, and we're not torn by things. We can just spend the time together and enjoy one another's company. What David's writing about here <clears throat> is really that kind of dynamic. That, that kind of thing. You say, well, pastor, really, it's kind of hard to do that all the time because you have to go to work and you have to go, no, I know. But he's talking about it in, re, in our relationship to one another with relation to God. And in that dynamic, we enjoy that all the time. We don't ha it doesn't have to be a, a specific set of time. In fact, let's take it a little step further. As parents, if you have children, <clears throat> even when your children are little and they fight with one another, it bothers you, doesn't it? Because... Why? Because they're siblings. They're, they should love one another. They're brothers and sisters. Now, I know brothers and sisters fight. I have, a, I have a younger brother. I had an older brother, and he passed away. I have a younger brother, and then I have a really younger sister because she was born when I was 18, uh, his wife. So um, Brenda, Brenda never really had to grow up. We didn't grow up with Brenda. You know, by the time she came along, I was 18, and I was taking her places. I was the cool brother, so I just took her places. But my brother that's um, uh, younger than me, two years younger than me, 
Well, we had our times now. I mean, we, you know, uh, I would have you believe we were the perfect brothers, but we were not. And, uh, you know, there were times when he would punch me and I would throttle him and, you know, those kinds of things. But listen, as a parent, it makes you feel bad when you see your kids do that. Because as a parent, you say, man, you guys should love one another. You, you got one another, you know, you should care about one another. And conversely, when our kids... When our kids love one another as siblings and they like to spend time together, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? We, especially if you see your grown kids like one another. I mean, you know, they really like one another and they want to hang around with one another and they get along. Um, without spending too much more time on this introduction, my oldest child is Megan's. And, uh, and of course, her brother is four years her junior who's an officer in the Navy now. And uh, if they watch this, they're going to laugh. She wears him out. I mean, she's like... She's like Mother Hen. I mean, if he, if he, you know, if he's not doing what he should do, she's on him. I mean, you know, big sister kind of thing. Man, she just wears him out. And the funny thing is, he loves her and he takes it. He don't, he don't, he don't, uh, you know, he don't fight back about it or nothing. He's just, and you know what? As a parent, that warms your heart. You know what I mean? You see, you see them loving one another. Well, now I said all that because now everybody feels all warm and fuzzy. Oh yeah, that's family stuff. Well, now let's elevate it, okay? Let's take it to a whole new level, which is what David does in this passage. <clears throat> Think about God and his family. Because if you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, if you're born again, whose family are you in? You're in the family of God. You're in the body of Christ. You're, you're a born-again child of God. I would suggest to you biblically that God feels the same way about his children in an infinitely greater way as we do about our children. Meaning when I, when, when I as a parent or you as a parent take joy in your children having fellowship or take joy in fellowshipping with them when you spend time together, how, how much more does a perfect God enjoy fellowship with us? Enjoy when we talk to Him, when we spend time with Him. How much more does God enjoy to see us, watch this now, in the church of Jesus Christ, like one another and get along with one another and not fight with one another and not be mean to one another. How much more do you think God enjoys that? I would suggest God enjoys that greatly when we love one another and we demonstrate this brotherly love. In fact, in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, listen to this. But as many as received him, as many as received Christ, as many as are born again by receiving him. To them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born, listen, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I would suppose on a Sunday night there's just saved people here. All y'all saved? Amen. Amen. All right. If you're not saved, see me right after church. We got to take care of that. Listen, everybody here is born again. If you're born again, you're a child of God. You are my brother or sister in Christ. We are in the family of God, not by our will, not because, we, because I chose you to be my spiritual brother. No, by the power of God. The Holy Spirit birthed us into the, into the family of God. These, all these illustrations I'm giving you will make sense when we read what David said. You remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3, just a couple of chapters over? This Pharisee, this religious guy comes to Jesus and, you know, he's got a question about, you know, we know you're a teacher come from God. And I'm sure Jesus looked at him like, then you really don't understand much, do you? And Jesus cut right to the chase in verse 3 of John 3, said, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. 
or you're never going to see the kingdom of God. The only way in is to be born again. And Nicodemus now is completely confused. Well, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he? And no, Nicodemus, listen, not of, not of flesh, but of the Spirit of God. And so here's what I'm saying. When we are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, we are, we are, we are born by the power of God into the family of God. And God himself expects us to act like brothers and sisters in Christ. He expects us to like one another. He expects us to love one another and to be encouraged around one another. And that's what David says right here. And he says it about Israel. Look at verse 1. Psalm 133, verse 1. <clears throat> he starts with an exclamation. There's an exclamation mark at the end of the first verse, which applies to the whole thing. He says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold, why would he use a, a word of exclamation? Because something radically, something had radically changed. Well, what? Well, I believe this is why he's emphatic about it. You remember when David, when, when, when Samuel anointed David king, did he like go right away and take the throne? No, he had that whole thing with Saul and running and, you know, and, you know Saul trying to kill him. And then when David, when Saul was dead and David finally became king, where was he king at? This is pop quiz, Bible knowledge, 101 right here. It wasn't in Jerusalem because Jebusite still lived there. Okay? He's in Hebron and he's, the, and he's the king, but who's he the king over? One tribe, Judah. You know why? Because everybody else goes, nah, Saul died and I don't think you're really our king. And so you're not our king. You can be king over whatever. For seven years, David didn't rule over all of Israel. For seven years, he's the king over, over Judah. And then guess what happened seven years later? The whole rest of, the, of Israel, all the other tribes said, okay, well, now you can be our king. You can read about it in 2 Samuel. Matter of fact, I think 2 Samuel 5. If I'm wrong, it's somewhere in that neighborhood. You can find it. They, the rest of them said, well, now you can be our king. Now imagine... You can read the whole account. David now is the king of all Israel. So then he says, man, we need a capital. And he goes up to Jerusalem with his men to take Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And you remember that whole thing, right? He said, if anybody can go in there and, you know, climb in there. And the Jebusites said, well, you know, this thing's so well fortified, a bunch of blind people could keep you out. And then David took it that night and, and defeated them and became the king. And Jerusalem became the capital. Now here's the scene, I believe, that moves David to make this exclamation about, behold, how good it is and how pleasant it is when brethren uh, uh, dwell together in unity. The whole nation now has one king, him. And it's in accord with God's plan. David didn't pick himself to be king. So David was happy because it was what God wanted. It was God's plan. And so now he finds joy in God's plan being fulfilled in the fact that now the nation has unity. All 12 tribes have one king. Not only do they have unity, but they have a capital city. God enabled him to take Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the mount of God, and it's going to be the capital city. So they have one king, they have one city now that is a city for the nation. And, they, and David, you know the rest of the story, moves the tabernacle there, brings the Ark of the Covenant there, and so now there's unity. And what I believe David is saying here, and the reason he was moved uh, to write this, was because now he looks out on the people and it's different. Where before they were fragmented and there were some over here and some over there and they weren't in agreement. It was hard to do anything. Now he sees unity. Now here's the question. Why did they have unity? Was it David's idea for them to have unity? 
No, God's idea. And David said, look at us now. Man, we're doing what God told us to do, and we're all unified in thought and in purpose and in mission and in vision, and look at what God's doing. Man, does that have application to the church today? In a big way. What has God called us to do as a church? And remember, when I say church, I mean save people. Not, not just a local assembly. Now, we are a church. We're a local expression of the universal church of Jesus Christ. But what are we called as a church to do? To have unity of purpose in taking the gospel to a lost world. To have unity of purpose in teaching the word of God for edification among the body of Christ. We're to have unity of purpose in ministering to one another. Ministering to the needs of those who are hurting and those who are, are, are outcast or downcast and bringing them in. That's our purpose. That's what God has, has called us to do. And then like David, we could say, behold, how good it is when brethren dwell together and have unity. How good it is. How joyful it is. Let me give you in our time, and we'll look at the other two verses here in Psalms in a minute. I want to show you four passages in the New Testament that talk about the unity of the church because I want to apply what David's saying here uh, to the church itself. Four passages about what it means to be in the church and the body of Christ and how good it is for brothers and sisters in Christ to have unity. And the first passage is in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, Be kindly affectionate, to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Kindly affectionate. I wrote down in my notes, you know what that really means? It means to be tender. It means to regard others with a tenderness. To be kindly affectioned to them. Don't be, uh, don't be rough with one another. Don't be difficult with one another. Be kindly affection to one another. Have an affinity in the family. And the way I could illustrate it is like this. My, my family, my flesh and blood brother and sister, I have a special affinity to them because they're my kinfolk. And even when my brother and I were in school, I could mess with my brother and slap him around, which I did probably pretty often. But if anybody else put their hands on him, you know what happened? Then they had to deal with both of us, okay? Why? Because he's my brother. And when my sister, being born and I'm 18, and she began to grow up, who's, who, cares, who cared about what happened to her? Me. Who cared about who's liking her and who's me? Why? Because she's my sister, and I care about her. I have a special tenderness to her. That same thing, listen to me, in the body of Christ should be demonstrated among ourselves. There should be a special tenderness as Paul said right here, a kindly affection to one another. Meaning, I have compassion for someone in the world who's hurting. And I have really the compassion of Christ for them because they need to be saved. But let me tell you something very clearly and, and quite honestly. If a person in this church that I know, a born-again believer that's my brother or sister in Christ, has an issue, I have a lot more compassion for them because I have an affinity for them. Why? Because we're part of the family. We're part of the family. And I really care about them. Listen, Paul said we should have that kind of, of affinity for one another. Now, now, let's make this connection. In the church, God removes all worldly 
standards of how we differentiate one another. In the world, the world classifies people in groups. There's the educated and the uneducated. There's those who have resources and those who don't have resources. There's the popular and the unpopular. There's the, there's the people who are in the in crowd and the people who are in the out crowd. There's smart people and then there's less smart people. There's, you know, there's talented people and there's less talented people. There's all these, all these differentiations we put on people. And, and unfortunately, we do it by ethnicity, by color of skin. We do it by where people came from, from their cultures. What does the Bible say about that in the body of Christ? Well, in case you forgot, I'll read it to you. In Galatians 3.28, Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now what does that mean? It means in the body of Christ that it doesn't matter where a person came from, it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter what they do, what they can do, what they have done. There's no big shots in the church, we're just all shots. We're just all children of God. And specifically, there's no place in the family of God for exalted positions where someone's exalted above everybody else. There's no place in the church, as the song that's out right now says, there's no place for rock star preachers. There's no place for that. There's no place in the church for exalted elders or deacons. And we have elders and deacons in this church. There's no place for that. You know how it is in the church? We're all equal. And because of God's choice of positions in the church, there might be first among equals for leadership purposes, but there's nobody who rules over anybody else. Why? Because we're all in the family of God. And we're all brothers and sisters of Christ. There's no place in the body of Christ for those who think they're better than everybody else. In fact, to love and have this, this kindly affection that Paul talks about, we are to humble ourselves for the purpose of helping others be improved. We're to be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. You say, boy, are we really supposed to do that? You would do it for your own flesh and blood family. There's not one of you who wouldn't stand and, and take a bullet metaphorically for your wife or your kids or somebody who's in your family. There's none of you who wouldn't stand up and suffer harm for yourself for the benefit of somebody in your own family. And what God says that we should do the same thing in the body of Christ. Let me tell you how, how that would revolutionize a church in the United States of America. You know what I see in the church today? I see selfishness. I see people who only care about what they care about. I see people who only want what they want. And if I don't get my way, I quit. If I don't get what I want, you don't like me. If decisions are made that somebody doesn't like, it's all about them and not about the ministry or what's good for other people. You say, boy, does that really happen? Yes, watch this. I dare you to go to a, a Bible study class that likes their room and tell them they gotta move. See what happens. You say, oh, that wouldn't be a problem. Okay, I'll let you do it. I'm not doing it. You go in there and tell them, okay? Man, it, 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 you think, well, nobody would get mad about that. Like I said, I ain't telling them. You tell them. Yeah. Is that how it is supposed to be? In, 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 let me tell you how it's supposed to be in the family. You come to them and you say, look, we got a class over here who really could use this room better and can we move you over there? You know what the response would be? When you want us to move. That should be the response. But that's not the response most of the time. The response is, well, we need a room too and they can find, they can go out under the tree somewhere. Well, that's not what Paul said right here. 
So we're to have a tender affection, this brotherly love where, where we love one another, okay? If the church actually practiced this, instead of being selfish and concerned more over personal wants, it would revolutionize the body of believers, the church, and the fellowship. Let me give you a second passage very quickly. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Listen to this. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. But this, listen, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the body of Christ, Jesus said, here's the commandment. You love one another, listen to me, you love one another like I've loved you. Let that sink in for just a moment. How did Jesus love us? Well, I don't know, Pastor. He went to the cross and he died to forgive my sin. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Let me tell you how we would describe that. Unconditional, unmerited love. That's what that is. In other words, listen, Jesus didn't look at me and say, well, I'm going to love you because there's a couple of good qualities about you that's worth loving, so I'm going to love you. Now, I assure you, if he looked at me, he went, there is nothing about you that's lovable in what Jesus said, but I'm going to love you anyway. Let me ask you a question. You ever, you ever meet a brother or sister in Christ that just rubs you the wrong way? Nobody's going to admit it, but you go, yeah, I can think of a few. You ever meet a saved person and you know they're a brother or sister in Christ, but you just really... You know, y'all are like opposite, you know, like the same end of a magnet. You just kind of repel one another. You don't really, you don't really enjoy that person's company, and you don't really want to hang out with them or eat bread, break bread with them. And you know, that happens. But what does the Bible say we're supposed to do when we run in that situation? Love them, listen, like Jesus loves us. You know what that means? Unconditionally, without reservation, unmerited, no matter how they are. No matter how they are. Somebody said to me one time, I said, Pastor, I really don't want to offend you. And I said, well, I won't say it's impossible for you to offend me, but I'm going to say, I'm going to make it really hard for you to offend me. And they said, why would you say that? Because Jesus told me to love you no matter what you do. I said, I might not like what you do, and it, and it may not be my cup of tea what you do, but if you're a, a child of God, you're my brother in Christ, and I'm going to love you no matter what. And that's the attitude we have to have. And that's what, that's what he, Jesus said right here. Here, hey, here's my commandment. I want you to love one another like I loved you. Now, Jesus said, if the church would act like that, what would be the result? What would the world see? They'd see something different, wouldn't they? They'd go, man, them people over there are different. They like one another. Those people over there are different. They get along. And man, when they have a hard decision and when they have to decide things, they don't fuss and fight. They actually get along. What a testimony to the world that a bunch of people, now consider this, a bunch of people from every background that you can imagine, Jesus has saved us, brought us together, and we can actually cooperate together. That's a miracle in itself, isn't it? Isn't that the power of the Holy Spirit? That we can actually come together and get along? And the world sees that, and the world says, man, that's different. Unfortunately, you know what the world sees in the church today most of the time? Schisms, fighting, splits, fussing. What kind of testimony is that? 
You know what the world says? They look at us and they go, man, you guys are no different than us. You're no different than the rest of the world. You're no different than any other organization. And what a terrible testimony that is. Jesus said, no, love one another unconditionally like I loved you, and then you'll have a powerful testimony to the world. Third passage, very quickly. 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Listen to this. <clears throat> now John said, if someone says, I love God, in other words, they say, man, I'm saved, I love God, and hates his brother, what does John say right there? He's a liar. But that's strong language, isn't it? You go, John, Apostle John, man, you're supposed to be an apostle. Why are you saying that? No, John said, listen, if, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, meaning a fellow believer in the church, the one who said he loves God is a liar. Now here's why. Four, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love, must love, not suggestion, not if you feel like it, not if you like him, but must love his brother also. You know what John's saying here? It's pretty clear. If a person says, oh, I love God, but they treat their brothers and sisters in Christ bad and they don't love them, John said, man, you're lying. Because he said it's a whole lot easier to love people that you can see and talk to than it is to love somebody that you can't see. So don't tell me that you love God if you can't love the people that God's put around you. John said, no, it's not true. It's a lie. The evidence, listen, this is really important right here. One of the evidences, not a definitive evidence, but one of the evidences that's cumulative in a person's life who's saved is that they will have an affection for the people of God. You say, what does that mean? It means if you're saved, you want to come to church. It means if you're saved, you want to be around other saved people. It means if you're saved, you enjoy, listen, you enjoy the fellowship of believers. And I've said this many times from this pulpit. I would rather spend my, my time, recreational time, fellowship time, with other believers in Jesus Christ than I would spend it with anybody else in the world. Why? Because we're in the family. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a, a commonality. We have a mutuality. No matter, no matter where we are, we might be eating out somewhere, we can talk about Jesus. No matter where we are, we can talk about walking with God. We can talk about the Bible. Even when we talk about things in the world that we like, home stuff and family stuff and cars and vehicles and whatever we're doing and vacations, we always talk about it, listen, with a biblical worldview. Do we not? Why? Because we're in Jesus. Why would I want to try to do that with a bunch of lost people? I've told this story. When Nathan, my, my oldest son, played baseball, I would routinely get invited to go out with the coaches and the other men and hang out with them after the games. And there were two reasons why I would always politely decline. Number one, they were just all going, the wives weren't going, nobody else was going but the men, and I knew they were gonna be uh, drinking. And I don't drink. I, if they wanted to drink, if this hurts your feelings, I'm sorry, but if people who drink alcoholic beverages you really need to rethink that, man, I'm telling you. It's bad for you for a whole bunch of reasons. But the fact is, these guys would all be drinking. And I didn't want to be around that, okay? And secondly, what do I have in common with those guys? 
I'm going to end up trying to tell them all about Jesus. I'm going to ruin their day. They're out there, you know, then they're not going to invite. What, what, what commonality do I have with these guys? None. But now, here at the church, a bunch of guys get together, a bunch of brothers in Christ go, man, we're going to go camp. We're going to go, fit. We're going to go shoot guns. Now, we do that a lot. Shooting guns is a cool thing. We're going to go shoot skeet. We're going to, we're going to go deep sea fishing. We're going to do something. Man, I'm all in for that. Why? Because even if I don't catch no fish, I'm going to have a good time hanging out with a bunch of Christian guys. Why? Because we're in the family. The Bible says, listen, come together. Love one another. Listen, John said, if we say we love God and we hate our brother, we're lying. And, and, the, and the evidence of our salvation is that we love hanging around with other Christian people. Now, <clears throat> the last passage I want to show you, and we'll go back and finish David. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Now, Peter really nails it down here. He says, finally, all of you, meaning all of those who are saved, be of one mind. Now, watch this. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, listen, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Think about what Peter says here. Be of one mind. What does that mean? It means to think the same. It means to think the same. There are a lot of people in the world who don't think like I do. Would you agree with that? You say, peace of the there ain't a lot of people think like you anywhere, but I know. My wife tells me that all the time. But listen, there are a lot of people in the world who don't see things like I see it. You know why? Because everything that I see, listen to this very carefully, Everything that I see in the world that I evaluate, you know what I evaluate it through? This book right here. I, I have on a biblical colored pair of glasses when it comes to a worldview. You could even say I have a biblical worldview. If, if I measure something as right or wrong in the world, do you know what I'm measuring it through? God's Word. If something's trying to be decided anywhere in the world, do you know what I measure it through? This, this book right here. And when I measure a lot of what I see in the world today through this book, you know what I find out? The world's wrong. Because God's always right. And so when I look at it through this book, now, do you think there's a lot of people out there in the world who think the way I do? Not unless you're saved, you don't. The lost world don't think like I do. The lost world, listen, has a secular humanistic worldview. I have a biblical worldview. If you're my brother or sister in Christ, there's a good chance you have a biblical worldview too. And so when we get together, we have some commonality, don't we? Why? Because we have one mind. And what's that about? It's around God's word. It's around God's word. You say, well, really, is that how it works? Oh, yeah, that's how it works. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable one to God, which is your reasonable service. Listen, and be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. How does your mind get renewed? This book right here. So the more I read this book, and the more we come together and study, the more we are of one mind. And when a group of people are of one mind and one purpose and one mission, God can use us to get a lot done, okay? Be of the same mind, Peter says here. Be of one mind. Now notice what else he says. Having compassion for one another. Having compassion for one another. What does it mean to have compassion for people? Care about them. Care about them. Now, I'll tell you, we have myself and Bill and Jeff 
and deacons, and we have deacon family ministry. That we, with COVID, it's been difficult to keep all this stuff up and running as it should because some people are afraid to come and some do come. And but here's the point: as a pastor, I have compassion for everybody that I know that I in this church, and it's hard for one person to keep up with 400 people. All right. But I have compassion. If one of the deacons calls me and says, Pastor, in my deacon family list, I've got, I've got this person who's having trouble or, or in the hospital or whatever. Man, I, I pray for you. Now, right now with COVID, I can't go. Brandon Davis, by the way, pray for him. He's, he, he had a stroke and he's one of our elders and had heart trouble. He's in the hospital. He went home. He's back in the hospital last night about 12 o'clock this morning. They took him back to the emergency room. I mean, you need to pray for him. I have compassion for him. I love him in Christ, and I want to go see him, but I can't go see him. I can't get in the hospital. And his wife is there with him. Listen, but we have compassion for one another. If somebody in the body of Christ is hurting, we have, we have a benevolent system here to meet, to meet real needs. If someone uh, is, is, is falling on hard times and they're in this fellowship and they can't pay their light bill and stuff, we have means to help them or buy them food and help them get by with whatever it is that they need to get by until they get back on their feet. What is that? That is compassion and that is brotherly love. And, and Peter said we're supposed to have that. So be of one mind, have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. And listen, be tenderhearted and courteous. Tenderhearted and courteous. Is it, doesn't it amaze you, if you've been around church, how rude Christians can be and non-tenderhearted? I to, this is such a funny story. I've told you this so many times. I visited a church one time, and a lady told me I was sitting in her seat. Now, she didn't know I was a preacher. I mean, I, I didn't know it was her seat. It didn't have her name on it. It didn't say, don't sit here. This belongs to you know, Mary Lou or whoever, whatever her name was. But I sat down, minding my own business, a visitor, and she came up and stood there. You know how you feel if somebody's standing by you. He's like, somebody's standing by me, and I don't know why they're standing here. And I looked up at her, and she goes, you're sitting in my seat. That's not courteous. <laughs> Do you think that's courteous? That's not courteous. That's not tenderhearted. I mean, I didn't know I was sitting in her seat. She could have sat down next to me and gone, I'm going to sit real close to you because you're sitting in my seat. I guess she could have done that. But I got up and moved. You know why I moved and didn't tell her to find another seat? Because the Bible said be courteous. And the Bible said be tenderhearted. And I felt like, well, if, if she can't worship sitting in any other seat in this building, I don't want to mess up her worship, so I'm going to move over and let her sit in this seat. We, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be compassionate to one another and tenderhearted to one another and, and courteous, respectful, not mean, and not short with people. Now, i got to confess, and we're going to finish here in a second. There have been times in the ministry of the church when I was stressed. And believe it or not, the ministry will stress you. I shared this before. I had a lady in my office. She was mad at me one time. And she looked at me and said, what is it you do all day anyway? And I, I started to say, deal with people like you. But I didn't want, I, I didn't, I don't want to do that. But there have been times when I've been stressed or, or you know, Life is not always like a bed of roses, right? I mean, you aren't always tiptoeing through the tulips and things are hard. And there have been times when I got short with somebody and I didn't get mean or nothing. I just, I was short with them. My answers weren't kind. My, my responses were, you know, purposely at the moment to the point and to cut them off so they wouldn't ask me another question. 
And, and every time that God's made me aware that I've done that, I've gone to that person and apologized to them. I've gone to them and said, you know what? I was, I was a little short with you, you know, whenever it was, and I want to say I'm sorry. And sometimes they'll go, well, I'm glad you can't, you know. They, no, but the point is God convicts me about it. But we are to not be that way with people. We're to be courteous and kind uh, and, and really encourage one another and not be that way. And then finally, Peter said here, don't retaliate against people. Has anybody in the church ever hurt your feelings? If not, you ain't been around church long enough. I mean, if you, you know, hang around long enough and somebody will, somebody will say something to you. They'll do something. It'll hurt your feelings. It'll make you feel bad. Sooner or later, somebody will tell you to move because you're sitting in their seat. Something. Some, you know, sooner or later, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. You know what Peter said? If they're your brother and sister in Christ, don't retaliate. Don't, don't get back at them. Don't say, well, you know, I'm going to get even or any of that kind of stuff. Just love them, man. Just move. Just do whatever. Maybe, listen, maybe it's them who are having a bad day. Maybe it's their life that's a lot of pressure right now. And maybe they just need somebody to love them. Uh, you know, but that's what Peter said. Now, let me finish with that, with what David said. We, we could do, let me, let me say this. When I was writing this, I thought, man, I really want to make this apply to the church. And I was looking up all the passages in the Bible that have to do with brotherly love. Let me just say to you, there's a lot of them, okay? I mean, there's a lot. In other words, God spent a lot of time telling us stuff in the New Testament on how to get along with one another. And we can make a series out of this, and I didn't want to. So I only picked four, and you're saying, amen. Thank you for only doing that. But there's a lot of them, okay? Now look at what David said with regard to Israel in verses 2 and 3, and we'll finish up in Psalm 133. Now, he makes an analogy. He said, now remember, he started off with this exclamation, behold, how wonderful it is, how good it is that brothers can dwell together. Man, he's excited about it, right? And then he compares it in verses 2 and 3 to this. He said, it's like this fellowship, this joy, this goodness. It's like the, the, the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard and the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Man, that's descriptive, isn't it? And then he said, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, let me just deal with the oil, and then we're going to close. The, the dew on Hermon is, is just another illustration of what he says about the oil. What's he saying about the, that this goodness of the fellowship is like the oil running down on Aaron's beard and on his garment? Well, they would anoint the high priest. They would anoint him with oil. They would pour oil on him, okay? And the oil, of course, out of the Bible represents the Holy Spirit for the church. And so they would, they would anoint him as the same as being anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's going to go in and represent God to the people and people to God, and he's anointed. Now, this oil, this oil was a special oil. You read in, in, the, in the giving of the law, God told him how to mix this oil. He gave him the ingredients. He told him what it was for. He told him what it couldn't be used for and that it was a special oil. God told him all kinds of stuff about this oil. But let me give you just three or four things about it. Number one, this oil smelled good. It was fragrant. And so they would pour this oil on the high priest and it would run down his beard and it would run on his garment, down his hands and drip on the ground. And it smelled good. And everybody who was around the high priest when he was anointed smelled it and was blessed by the fragrance of this oil. And David said, man, the fellowship and the unity of the brethren is like that oil. It just blesses everybody. When you're around it, you just feel the good vibes and you smell it and it's good. You ever been around a church like that? It's pretty good, isn't it? Man, where it's just good. You just go there and the fellowship is good. Now I'm a little prejudiced about churches because I really like this one. And I think we have that here. I really do. I think it's good. Man, we come together and we enjoy one another's company for the most part. And we, uh, 
It, no, it's good. It's just good when you come together and David's saying it's like the fragrance of the oil that's poured on the high priest. And then secondly, that oil was holy. And they weren't allowed to just use that for anything. It wasn't perfume. You know, you didn't dip it and take a little bit outside. No, God said you only use that oil for, for the purpose, for the high priest, for anointing, for him to go in. It was holy. The relationship we have in Jesus is special. You won't find it anywhere else. In fact, in Jesus Christ, it's holy. It's the family of God. It's, it's perfection. Remember what we said this morning, getting into New Jerusalem, no sin? No, it's perfect. It's holy. And, and David said, man, it's just like that. And then thirdly, this oil was precious. Wasn't a lot of it just out there. They had to make it. And they didn't make a lot of it. They made, it, they made what they needed to do, the anointing, and it was precious. I'm going to suggest to you biblically that if you find a body of believers where the fellowship's good and they love one another, not perfect. There's no perfect church. You know why there's no perfect church? Because a bunch of imperfect people make it up. But if you find a church where, where the love of Jesus Christ is expressed among the brethren and it's like this oil, it's, it, it feels good and it smells good and you can relate to it, man, it's a holy and it's a special thing uh, and you ought to enjoy it. Furthermore, we have a part in that in making it happen in our, in our reaction to one another and in our interaction with one another. So to conclude tonight, the body, the, the fellowship in the body of Christ is a sweet thing. And the, and the goodness of brotherly fellowship is a sweet thing. And if you don't know what that's like, those who will watch this video later, if you've never been saved, you really don't know what you're missing out. You can't find that kind of relationship in the world. It just doesn't exist. You can join a bowling league. You can join this club and that club, and you can join this and that and the other thing. You're not going to find that kind of fellowship out there. You're just not going to find it. In the body of Jesus Christ, that's where, where there's real joy and fellowship. So if you've never been saved tonight, everybody in here told me you're saved, so I'm going to take your word at it, okay? If you're not saved, like I said, you need to come see me right after church. If you're watching this video and you've never been saved and you want to be in the family of God, would you pray to receive Christ right now? Would you, would you pray and ask him to forgive your sin and save your soul? Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us about, about the joy uh, of brotherly fellowship in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, and God, how good it is, how good it is to dwell together in unity and, and oneness of mind and compassion and gentleness and tenderness for one another. Father, maybe there's somebody who will watch this video and hear your word. And God, right now, they're convicted in their heart that they, they don't know anything like that, God. Lord, may right now in this moment, may they just humble their heart and, and surrender to you, God, and ask by faith that you would forgive their sin and save their soul. And God, bring them into the fellowship of believers. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. If I can pray with you or help you in any way, you come on the first verse. I'll be right down front here.